from earth's vain world, from forest coast, through gates of pearl, dreams in the countless hosts, singing to Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, Alleluia. God's precious grace, mercy, and peace be multiplied unto each and every one of us from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Please be seated. That hymn is sung at almost every pastor's funeral I've ever been at. I think I'll put it down for mine, too. It could be for anyone's funeral, though, because God speaks to us about his saints in that hymn and reminds us that uh, we are marching toward heaven. All of us, one day we will get there, by God's grace. Our text is our gospel lesson, which we uh, mentioned earlier as we read it. What does it mean to be rich? Well, for maybe for many of us, we might think about somebody like Donald Trump or Larry Page. Do you know who he is? The creator of Google. Larry Page, he's kind of a rich fella. Uh, then Elon Musk, owner of Tesla Industries, he's rich, huh? Those guys are rich. Well, God doesn't look at things quite the same way we do. We don't have to be that rich to be what God considers rich. Jesus considered the man in our text to be rich. I don't know if he was as rich as one of those fellas. And I think he would consider each of us rich. Rich in many ways. Uh, not only financially, but we certainly are uh, one of the richest nations in the world. And we as individuals are blessed with homes, automobiles, food on the table every night, uh, clothing, several changes of clothing. If I look in my closet, there's lots of choices. Maybe that's true in yours as well. We are indeed rich. And so when he talks today about the rich man, I think there's much we can learn from him and from Lazarus. Jesus is speaking in parables in this particular section of the book of Luke. Actually, there's been quite a few that have gone through already. We've talked about the lost coin and the lost, uh, uh, the lost sheep. Uh, there's the parable of the lost son, or called the prodigal son by some. We didn't cover that one this year, but in other years you've heard that story as well. Parables are a heavenly story with an earthly meaning. Usually they only have one particular point that's trying to be made by God. Remember, it's Jesus speaking the parable, and so when he tells that story, he wants to have all of his hearers understand. He's teaching his disciples, and there's becoming a larger and larger crowd of people that are joining and listening to his teachings as well. Uh, they would be part of the 
larger group of disciples, not full-time like the 12, but kind of like you and me. We listen to Jesus maybe occasionally, but we listen to him when we pick up the Bible and read his word. And we listen to him here on Sunday morning. And we listen to him maybe other times during the week when we have our family devotions or such. They're listening to Jesus. And so he speaks to them in parables. The parable begins by introducing us to the two main characters, of course. One was a rich man named No Name. No Name. Isn't that funny? The rich man gets no name. The poor man, Lazarus, he gets a name. One of the few parables in which God actually gives a name to somebody. All right. So this is not the same Lazarus, by the way, that John talks about in chapter 11, where Jesus raises him after four days out of the grave. Totally different person, just a coincidence of names. So we don't want to get confused with who this Lazarus is. Lazarus is a beggar. He's covered with sores. Uh, you remember the book of Job, where Job is covered with sores so much that he would scrape himself with a stone? That's the kind of picture you want to have with this fella, beggar that he is, so much so he can't even walk because the sores are all over his feet and all over his body. He's a pretty pathetic fellow. But he comes, he's carried to the gate of uh, the rich man on a regular basis, probably daily, so that he might perhaps just beg for what? The scraps that fall from the rich man's table. He doesn't want to sit with the rich man. He doesn't feel worthy of that. He doesn't want to ask for a, a lamb chopper. How about a pork chopper? No, they wouldn't eat pork. How about a chicken bone? No, he just wants the scraps that fall to the floor. That's what would satisfy him. But we're told that uh, he doesn't receive a single scrap. Nothing, nothing does a rich man give him. Now, uh, eventually they both die. How much time passes is, important, is not important. Jesus doesn't tell us. So we just know that they both die. And we're told that the Lazarus is carried up to heaven and rests in the arms of Abraham. That's an Old Testament character, so that would be why Jesus would give them the name Lazarus, or Abraham, and so... Uh, they would recognize that. Now, the rich man goes to hell. It's important that I tell you this at this point in time because we don't want to give the impression that if you consider yourself rich that you have a doomsday ahead of you. That's not true. That's not why they go there. We're not told. That Jesus doesn't tell us anything about their faith relationship to him which is how we will get to heaven. Because we're baptized children of God, we, will be, we are in a faith relationship with our Savior, and we are headed to heaven. That's for sure. Not dealing with how much wealth we have or don't have. That's irrelevant. And it isn't because Lazarus is poor that he ends up in heaven. 
That's not the point of the story. Remember, it's a parable, and it only has that one meaning. The one hint we do get, however, about the rich man is he doesn't seem to care about anybody else. You remember when Jesus was asked about what the two great commandments were? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. The rich man does not love anyone but himself. And so a little bit of his character we do get uh, insight into there by seeing that he doesn't even care enough to give the scraps to this poor beggar. Well, the rich man seems to think, because he's gathered all this stuff, that somehow he can take it with him. I have an old story about that. Maybe you've heard this one. It's been around a long time. It's about the fellow who was told by the doctor that he had a very short period of time to live, you know, and, and so uh, he was very wealthy, and uh, he was going to take it with him. So he called three of his acquaintances, and uh, he gave each of them a million dollars. He said, now when I die, I want you to come and put that in my coffin. And they all agreed. And so the man died a couple of weeks later, and the first fella came, and he dutifully walked up there and put his million dollars in the coffin. And the second fella did the same. And the third fella took out a check from his pocket, put it in the coffin for three million, and took out the other two. <laughs> you can't take it with you. And this rich man seems to think he could have. What we do with the blessings in this life, what we have now, that's what's important. And what we do with it after our dead is totally irrelevant. There's nothing we can do. But Lazarus, remember, is taken to heaven in the arms of Abraham, and the angels carry him there. I still remember the first hospital call I ever made. I was in the seminary, and we were assigned to congregations there. And Pastor David Schlee was one of the nicest men I'd ever met. He was the pastor of the supervising congregation where I was at. And as part of my duties to him, I was uh, assigned to make a certain number of hospital calls. Well, my very first call, I walked into this room, and I noted that the nurse was by the bedside of uh, the person I was calling on, taking her pulse. So I said, is it all right if I have a prayer with Mrs. Smith? And she said, sure, sure. So I began my prayer. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And with that, the nurse looked over at the bedside and said to me, I think she's gone. I was so startled. I didn't know what to say or do. I don't even know if I finished the psalm. But I remember I went out of the room and I went to where there was a phone and called Pastor Schlee and told him about what was happening. And he could tell that I was really shook. 
And he said, well, we'll have to be careful who we send you to in the future. <laughs> now, please, don't misunderstand. Pastor Schlee, kind man that he was, was not making any lightness of the woman's passing. Mrs. Smith was very ill, and it was not a surprise that she had gone to be with the Lord. And that's exactly, as I thought back on it, what I saw. She was so at peace with passing into the arms of the Lord. Now, I have been blessed since then to be at the bedside of a number of people as they passed and went to be with the Lord. And that seemed to be the common denominator. There's such peace and such tranquility at the time of a Christian going to be in heaven. I think we can all look forward to that. Look forward to it, not that we wanted to hurry it or something like that. No, no, no. But to know that the Lord is going to take us from this life in his arms in a peaceful way. We don't have to fear that. Certainly, uh, Mrs. Smith did, as well as many others that I have seen since that. By contrast, though, we're told that the rich man is there in torment. And even down where he is, we think in terms of up and down, I don't know that that's real, but where he's at, he still looks at Lazarus as a servant. Can you tell? He says, Abraham, tell Lazarus, you know, that my servant Lazarus, who was beggared at my door that I never gave a crumb to, tell him to dip the tip of his finger in a pool of water that he might come and <laughs> cool my tongue. I'm in torment here in Hades. What, what does he... He still thinks that he's above Lazarus. <laughs> There's no comparison to where they are. Now, that's, that's where the, the uh, uh, comment is made by Abraham. Between us and you, a great chasm, my translation, a great chasm has been fixed so that those who want to go from here to there cannot, and, nor can anyone go from here to there. Now, folks, it's a Lutheran understanding of that so that we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but the reality is we need to be witnessing to people who are alive because once they're deceased, we cannot affect their eternity. No amount of money, no amount of mass cards will get them from someplace to someplace better. God is the determiner after we pass. And that's the truth spoken of here by this parable. Abraham also tells, Remember, in your lifetime you received good things, while Lazarus received bad things, and now he's comforted here, and you're in agony. What we receive from God, whatever it is, we are to be stewards of those things, good stewards, which includes, of course, sharing with others from the bounty that we have, the mercy ministries that you mentioned earlier, Bill. Wake up, Bill. 
the fact that uh, we have a chance to share with others, the food bank that you uh, bring resources for, an opportunity to share with those less fortunate. Now, I know that we're not wealthy from the world's standpoint, but certainly from God's standpoint, we've all received. Remember the account of the widow and her two small coins. She put both of them into the coin box for the poor, trusting that God would provide for her the next day. She didn't have to worry about that. By contrast, we, a couple weeks ago, we heard about the man who had such a huge harvest that he didn't know what to do with it. And so what did he do? He had to tear down his barns and build bigger ones so he could store all that he had for whom? For himself alone. Stewardship is another one of the several points in this parable. Being a good steward of what we have and sharing with others. When a person dies, their fate is determined by God. We covered that already. The last point of the parable, that's what I was looking for. <laughs> it might appear that Abraham's response to, uh, to the rich man is rather poor when he says, when he asks, well, all right, ask, tell Lazarus, again, another servant approach, tell Lazarus to go and talk to my five brothers so that they won't end up here in torment like me. He still wants him to be a servant, you see. Poor, poor choice. And he says, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. Now, the first time I read this par parable, it seemed to me that that was kind of a harsh answer. Why wouldn't, you know, there be some extra warning for those five foolish brothers who were acting the same as their rich brother who was already now dead? But in reality, it's a very prophetic passage because that's what you and I have. We have the prophets. We have God's word. It comes to us and assures us of what is going to happen. And in fact, remember who's telling the parable is Jesus. And so this is prophetically words that he's prophesying about his death and his resurrection. Faith is a gift of God, people, given to us, as I shared with the children, at our baptism, given to us by the Holy Spirit, planted in our heart through nothing that we're doing. It's by grace that we are saved, Paul reminds us, and that not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. It's been nurtured down through the years since your baptism by word and by sacrament grows in your heart. You're reassured of it every time you hear or speak to the Lord in prayer or hear his word read or preached. It is so that you will believe the truth of what's in that word. We believe that Jesus came to save sinners like you and me. We believe that our salvation is sure because Jesus died for you. You. Put your name there. We believe that Jesus rose from the dead, as the little children said. Wasn't that beautiful that they knew Jesus rose from the dead? 
and became the first fruits of those who would rise from the dead, including you and me. We believe in Paul's beautiful text from Romans 8. Listen to the words. We believe that in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, that we neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything in all creation is able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. We believe that because of a couple of drops of water and being baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What a beautiful faith. What a beautiful life we as Christians have and a life hereafter we look forward to.